the elders team were presenting to the congregation a name of a prospective pastor. And I guess since then you've uh, interviewed him and uh, sensed that God wanted you to ask him to come and he sensed God's desire to make that happen and and now you have a pastor. Huh. Things have changed since the last time I was here. This is good news. Yeah. It's, it's a wonderful thing when the Lord, in his sovereignty, brings together a people and a pastor. of uh, joint vision and a, a time of, of stretching and refreshment. But it does, does create an opportunity for us to, to think of some of the basics. It's a good time for us as a church to think of what are some of the basics. Like, for instance... Why are we here? <laughs> like if, if we as a congregation, pastor and people are together and, and we sense there's this fresh start, a, a new day, why are we here? Uh, the question I want to ask us today is, whom should we love? Just as basic as that. Just as basic as that. Whom should we love? If I was teaching this at the seminary, I would, I would use fancier terms. I would say, who is our missional audience? Hey, like, like, who is it? And now, now that we are prepared for the next chapter of whatever it is that God has for the rock, who are we to love? I mean, Wayne was guiding us in praying for some people that maybe don't yet know the Lord, and he was trying to guide our hearts in prayer into some of those people who maybe the Lord, by his Holy Spirit, is prompting us to love, right? Who are we as a church? To love. And I'm going to tell you this morning, there are three people you're going to love. Okay? There are three. In fact, it's such a simple message again, I'm not even putting anything on the PowerPoint. Just like the last time I was here. It's so, so simple that you can get this from Hebrews chapter 13. And while you're looking that up, please look that up. Take your U version or your Bibles or whatever and look that up. Hebrews chapter 13. I want you to see from the scripture what God is saying, who we are to love. I, I wish I had clipped it out and kept it, but I didn't. But it was a, it was a Charlie Brown comic strip. You know Charlie Brown? Right? Peanuts, right? I wish I had kept it. But it was not the Charlie Brown or Lucy or the prime players that were in this comic strip. It was Peppermint Patty and Marcy. Okay? Do you remember Peppermint Patty and Marcy? They were friends of Charlie Brown. Peppermint Patty in the one frame was saying this to Marcy, her friend. I'd like to read this book, Marcy, but I'm kind of afraid. I had a grandfather who didn't think much of reading. He always said that if you read too many books, your head would fall off. <laughs> well, that was kind of cute in itself, but the next frame sort of made some sense. Marcy is speaking, and Marcy says, Well, Peppermint Patty, you read the first chapter, and I'll hold on to your head. I thought to myself, that's exactly what we need in life, head holders. Huh? We need people in our lives who surround us that when life gets beyond our capacity to cope, they're holding our heads on. You, you, read, you step into that next chapter, I'll hold your head on. <laughs> you, you start reading that chapter, and I'll hold your head on. Uh, uh, we were, uh, Wayne reminded us to pray for one of our sister churches, Lane uh, Fusilier, who's lost his wife. He's a widower and the senior pastor of one of our churches. 
you think he and his family need some head holders right now? Right? Right? They need some head holders. The last Sunday that we were here, we went and had some lunch with some friends. And, and very, very sadly, we got a uh, message to say that one of our dearest friends, whose son was 30 years old, had just been leading worship, and when the sermon began, got a major headache. They took him to the hospital, and he died of an aneurysm, leaving behind a young wife and a one-year-old baby. Now, do you think they need some head holders? Right? Do you think in the, in the circumstances of life, when life gets beyond our capacity to cope, do you think you need someone to hold your head on? If statistics are true, dear friends, 22% of the people in North America ate supper alone last night. That's almost one in four, right? It's almost, so count, one, two, three, alone. One, two, three, alone, right? In other words, there's a lot of lonely pe- people who don't have the people to hold their heads on. In that same survey, 54% of people said that if they were stranded on a deserted island, they would choose their pet as a companion over another human being. We all need people. We all need love. The question is, who am I to love? The question is, as a church, who's our audience? Who's our missional audience? And, and don't tell me, well, we're to love everybody. Because conceptually that's true. We are to love everybody. But oftentimes when we say that, it, you know, loving everyone in general is usually an excuse for loving no one in particular. Right? Right? We, we, someone else will do it. And yet, oftentimes, that someone else isn't doing that. You know, as a church, sometimes we, we can be known as places that, well, we love mankind, it's people we don't like. <laughs> you know? And we, we have to recognize that, that it's my task. Who am I to love? Whose heads am I holding on as they go through the realities of life? And who will be there for me? When life gets beyond my capacity. Uh, Peppermint Patty, you read the first chapter and I'll hold your head on. That's what I need. Who are we to love? Now, the book of Hebrews is going to answer that question. It's going to say it's three people. You have three people to love. Are you ready? Okay, let's look at that. If you know much about the book of Hebrews, what you know is that it is a, it's a very theologically inclined book. It's actually there to speak about how Jesus is superior, the superiority of Jesus over many things, over angels, over the the, the Old Testament uh, sacrificial system. He's a, a superior high priest. Jesus is superior. And so the writer of Hebrews is going through an awful lot of these theological learnings about who Jesus is. But by the time he gets to chapter 13, he changes gears a bit. And he now he wants to ask the question, if we've got that relationship right, what's the relationship like here? Okay. And he wants us to say, what does that look like in the reality of our world? And who are we to love? Who is our audience? Who now that we know that who Jesus is, who am I expressing that to? To whom? And so that's where he's at it. Hebrews chapter 13. That's the question he's asked. How am I to love in relation to other people? And we'll only look at three verses, but there's a whole, whole lot of others in chapter 13. But the three 
people that we are to love are in the first three verses of Hebrews 13. Listen for them. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison and those who are mistreated as though you yourselves were suffering. I say there's three people for you to love. The first would be brothers and sisters. The second would be in verse two, strangers. And the third in verse three would be the prisoners. That's your mission alliance. There they are. If Jesus is superior, if he has placed you in Woodstock for a purpose, if he's brought a new pastor and people together, this is our missional audience. The first group of brothers and sisters. The word, by the way, in the original language, you probably or maybe you know that the Bible wasn't written in English. It was written in, in Greek language. And that Greek language has the word for, for loving brothers and sisters. And, and that word is Philadelphia. That's a word we know, right? <laughs> We've heard that. They play hockey, you know. <laughs> uh, Philadelphia. Uh, what does Philadelphia mean? We most of the time would say brotherly love. Like the town, like the city, and the city of brotherly love. Now, here's something really interesting. The Greek language has a gender for every word. We don't do that in English. We don't have male and female words, right? Well, pronouns are, right? Some pronouns are, but we don't have male and female words per se. But in the Greek language, there are three genders, male, female, and neuter. And every word has a gender. Philadelphia has a gender. What word, what gender do you think it is? Anybody want to venture the guess? Be brave. It's female. I mean, technically speaking, we should call it sisterly love, you know, technically speaking. But we don't because that's what the, the scripture writer is trying to communicate is there are people that are in your sphere of influence. There are people that are in the family. It, it, that's why the interpreters say brothers and sisters when that word Philadelphia comes up. Because it's inclusive of those people who by faith are part of the family. They're within your embrace. They're brothers and sisters in Christ, we oftentimes say. They by faith have entered into a filial relationship with us. They are brothers and sisters in faith. So that's who we're supposed to love. Love each other, brothers and sisters. Where, where do you find brothers and sisters in Christ to love? Say it out loud. Yeah, you find it here. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, let me be more general. You find brothers and sisters to love where they congregate. Right? Where they gather, right? And where there's a gathering of brothers and sisters, that's where they are. And in the most basic place 
is right here. Right here. It's, it's part of the reason why the writer of the Hebrews, a couple of chapters back in chapter 10, verse 24 says, let us not forsake right, the fellowship, the gathering. Let's not forsake that. Why? Because it's the most perfect place in the world where perfect people gather who all get along with each other perfectly. Absolutely not. Right. And if you find that place, don't join it. Right. Because you'll make a mess of it. Right. No, it's not because it's a perfect place, but it's because that's where brothers and sisters congregate. The people who we are to love, the people who God has entrusted head holding opportunities to. The place where I will actually get my support because I, too, am a brother or sister to you. That's why the writer of the Hebrews says, let's not forsake gathering together. Because that's the place where you're going to find people that you are to love. We simply must develop a love relationship with people who share our Christian values and our Christian lifestyle. And we find that here. Now, the value of Christian fellowship cannot be overestimated. Okay, it can't be. Uh, several years ago, I uh, was the, the pastor on duty at the InterServe Mission National Conference in Nepal. I was not the speaker. Oftentimes, I go places and I have the opportunity to share. But I wasn't. I was just tagging along. Okay, just hanging along with a friend who was speaking, and I had the opportunity to go. But the, the but the missionaries gave me a title, a pastor on duty, and I thought that was kind of kind of them made me feel good, you know, like like it was just made up word, right? You know, and I was just hanging along. I actually had no plan. I was just there. Little did I realize how much pastoral love and care the missionaries needed. That so many of them were were engineers and doctors they, they they needed a pastor too and one of the medical doctors met with me and the one afternoon and we sat down for a few hours and he was really burdened of heart because his he, he felt like his one of his daughters was defecting from the faith and it was because of his missionary calling can you imagine how painful that would be and so we just sat down and we said, well, maybe the scripture has something to say. We opened up some scripture and prayed and talked about what life is like and what responsibilities he might need to bear and some that he probably didn't need to bear. And we chatted. That night, I went to bed in the, in the conference hotel room and I got sick. Uh, you know that 24-hour flu thing? And I was just one of those violently ill sort of sicknesses where you're throwing up everything possible and the next thing was going to be a lung or an organ of some sort, right? It just, and I like just really, really actually very, uh, you know, weak and, but a little bit disturbed and partly disturbed because I had actually been exposed now to the opportunity of serving, I opened my eyes to opportunities for ministry that I never knew existed. So I'm a bit angry with God, frankly. It take me halfway around the world and then, like, put me out, right? The next morning, uh, my medical doctor friend who I'd served, he came. He recognized it wasn't at breakfast. And then he came to the room, knocked on the door, and uh, and he came in. And, uh, you know, he was 
being a medical doctor, and checked me out, and he went off to get some pills, which you got to go to the right place when you're in a a third world country, right, (laughs) to get the right kind of medicine. You never know really what you're going to get. And and it was probably a placebo, you know, because it actually didn't do any good. But but whatever it was, he came, and then he came the next hour, and then he came the next hour, and then he came the next hour. And the next hour when he came, it was different. It was different because he brought a book with him. And he said, do you mind if I just lay on the bed beside you? This is a place where I find comfort and peace. I'm throwing up. (laughs) I'm angry with God. (laughs) I, I don't want him there. If you're like me, I don't want anybody there. So if you think that his comfort and peace had anything to do with me, you're sorely mistaken, right? It was the Holy Spirit that had provided our fellowship to meet his needs. And that's what's happening here in the book of Hebrews. Listen, your audience, your head-holding audience, are brothers and sisters in Christ because it's through that fellowship that the Holy Spirit has the opportunity to do things that you cannot do. And even some things you would not want to do. It's our missional audience. It's each other. Number two, in verse two, the second audience, the second person we are to love. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. Okay? The word here is philoxenius, very similar to Philadelphia. Philoxenius, just a little bit different, and it means love for outsiders. Right? Not love for brothers and sisters, but now love for outsiders. They are strangers. If, if brothers and sisters are people are, who are in the inside of the family, then strangers are people you are being asked to bring into your life. Those people that are outside, you're trying, you're asking to bring into your life. These are unknown people. What's interesting, uh, if you read the New Testament, uh, the Gospels, the only accusation levied against Christ that actually sticks is the accusation that he ate with tax collectors and sinners. All the rest were false accusations. He eats with tax collectors and sinners. Philoxenius, bringing from the outside the strangers inside to this fear of my influence, bringing them in, strangers. At a former uh, church where we pastored, we had, uh, we had uh, it was in the inner city of Toronto, and so we had lots of opportunity then to serve homeless people and needy, uh, people on the fringes of society, and so we had a, a very, every week a community dinner, kind of out of the cold, and have a community dinner. And we also had uh, the food bank, the Daily Bread Food Bank, which operated under our uh, uh, staff team. And, uh, and so eventually, with all this food that we were serving, we uh, uh, gave the opportunity to have a, a, a church service. <laughs> uh, we called it Soul Food. Right? Soul Food. It was a brand new congregation. Brand new congregation. And they didn't know they were a congregation. And they didn't know that. But we knew that they were. They were a congregation of strangers. And what was interesting about this congregation is that because they were from the rough side of, uh, of life, 
uh, it was very uh, common that there might be a fist fight happen right in the middle of church <laughs> or some cursing which would come towards the speaker you know I'd, or uh, and, and and there was there was need to have a smoke break right in the middle right at the church service because i mean but these were the strangers that we were bringing in and and eventually had a soul food and what was interesting is as we started to talk about Jesus the these marginalized people they really didn't get Jesus they could not figure him out they got the disciples because the disciples always asked some of the stupid questions and did some of the dumb things, you know, that, that they would do. Right. So they understood the disciples and they were enamored with the fact of how Jesus treated the disciples. And it planted a thought in some of their hearts. Maybe Jesus would treat me that way. Maybe Jesus would treat me that way in the in the dumbness of my life. Just as he did. With those disciples. Uh, if, if you think that we had actually anything to do with that outcome, you're sorely mistaken, right? It was the Holy Spirit who took the fellowship with strangers, inviting strangers in, and started working on hearts. It's our audience. Our audience is to bring into the sphere of in, our sphere of influence strangers people who we do not yet know what's the third group of people verse 3 make sure it's in there i don't want to be teaching something that's not in the scriptures right let's make sure it's in there verse 3 continue to remember those in prison not just in prison uh but but sort of relate to them as if like as if you were with them in prison. Get get connected with them somehow, and, and not just the prisoner, but those who are mistreated in this world, in this life, as if you were the one suffering. So let's just call them prisoners. That's the word that's in there. Whereas brothers and sisters are people who are on the inside, right? And strangers are people who we invite to come in. There are an entire group of people, let's call them prisoners, into whose world you have to go. You cannot stay where you are. You must go to their world. They are in prison. Now, in the technical sense of the writing of the Hebrews, he was actually speaking about those who are in prison, those who are confined by the law for something that they actually did. And in the first century Palestine, prisoners were not treated well. All they got was a, a room, a dungeon in which to, to live, but no food, no social, no nothing. Nothing was provided. It was just incarceration. All of the rest of their needs would be, have to be provided by someone else from the outside, even food. Even food. Hence, one of your audience, people into whose world you have to step, they can't come into yours. They wouldn't come into yours. They're not comfortable in yours, or they can't. I remember one of our uh, elders uh, apologized for not coming to church on Christmas Sunday morning one year. The, the backstory to that briefly was that I had led our elders in a conversation about whether we should have church on Christmas Sunday morning, which was on Sunday. Right? That's always a question 
what are we doing Christmas Sunday morning when it's on a Sunday? Now, we talked about the fact that one of our cardinal values was uh, ministry to families, caring for children, and one of the ways we could minister to the families and care for children is to give them the opportunity to spend that time in that morning, and maybe we should create some resources for telling the story of Jesus among the families, right, in the morning. And so we ha- there's all kinds of good ideas for why doing that would make sense. But eventually we decided, no, we're going to actually have that service on the Sunday morning of Christmas because we wanted to make a statement to the community that was around us, that we valued Jesus deeply, and it didn't make sense for us not to celebrate his birthday on the day that the rest of the world celebrated his birthday. And so we had, so we went through the whole conversation and led them through and voted and decided, yes, we will do that. That's why when one of the elders came to me afterwards and said, I won't be there on Christmas Sunday morning, I said, come on, Don, well, you're not in the conversation. Like, like we're not the kind of people who hold our cards close to our chests. We are open with each other and open hearted and open handed. And when we discuss as leaders, we discuss with an open heart and open hand. Then he said to me, well, the, the, the reason is quite shyly. He said, I'm I'm leading a Bible study at the jail for the Gideons on Christmas Sunday morning for the inmates. And I almost thought, I almost said, I'm going to shut the church down that morning, not tell anybody. I'm just going to have him walk down to the jail and have Pastor Don do the Sunday morning worship, Sunday morning Christmas with the, with the inmates. There's a man who literally took it seriously that I'm going to do a Bible study with those who are incarcerated. Now, incarceration, more people are incarcerated not by the law, but by other things in life. Right? They're incarcerated by maybe their addictions. They are held captive to narcotics or to alcohol or to food. Or they might be held captive in other life circumstances like homelessness or mental illness, refugees. There are all kinds of ways that people are prisoners that are incarcerated. Our uh, church hosted a uh, Narcotics Anonymous group, very much like Alcoholics Anonymous, but it was Narcotics Anonymous, and they were people that were addicted to a lifestyle and desperately trying to get out. And we had one dear, dear lady, her name is Diane, bless her heart, she's a grandmother, quite, uh, you know, she's well into her 70s at this point in time, and, but uh, she loved these incarcerated people. And felt like one of the things she could do is make them cookies for their meetings. That's kind of cool, don't you think? Wouldn't you say yes? They said no. They rejected the cookies. They rejected her. Their position like they were so tender that they couldn't even accept cookies because maybe there's an agenda behind that. And they were so tender they couldn't accept any other agenda than to break out of the things that they had gotten themselves into. And they rejected cookies because it meant that somebody else had an agenda. Can you imagine being that incarcerated that you couldn't accept cookies? It was about a year later and Diane continued to offer about a year later, that they began to realize that love was motivating this dear, motivating this dear lady. 
And they accepted the cookies. They accepted the cookies. They were breaking the bondage. And not only that, they accepted her. This dear lady sat in the circle of Narcotics Anonymous and just loved them. What a sight to see. What a sight to peer into the window of that room and see people breaking their bondage, the incarceration, and somebody choosing to walk out of their comfort and into somebody else's world. Isn't that great? There you go. Three people, that's our missional audience. There are people in Woodstock to whom it is your responsibility to go out and find and love them for the sake of Jesus. What's our missional audience out of Hebrews 13? Brothers and sisters. Strangers. People we invite in. Prisoners. People who we will, whose world we will enter. For the sake of Jesus. Okay, new pastor coming along. Beautiful church. Friendly people. And a very intentional audience. Right? The question we would ask is, how are we going to do that? Well, you're going to do that in your own unique way. It won't look like any other church, right? right? God has gifted you with leaders and with people that are willing to think through, how does that look? But there's something interesting that's also embedded in this chapter. Two hints as to how to do that. Okay, two hints. Look back at verse 1. Actually, verse 2. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. Hospitality. Hospitality. The word actually has more roots in entertaining, but also has the roots for being hospitable. Hospitality is a methodology... For loving. Now, Eastern societies, by the way, have a lot to teach us about hospitality. Um, if you've had any exposure to non-Western uh, world, you recognize that hospitality is a, is a much more important aspect of life. As a matter of fact, in, in Eastern societies, uh, there's a direct connection between truth and love. That if I can't actually believe what you're saying unless it's couched in love, unless you actually open up your heart and your home and your life to me, I don't know if what you're saying is true. There's a direct connection between truth and hospitality in Eastern societies. Now, that to our Western mind doesn't make a lot of sense, okay? Because truth is objective. It is what it is. And hospitality is a personality type or it's a nice home or it's, it's, it's a kindness that we do. But in the Western, in the Eastern societies, as this was written in this day, in the Eastern societies, there's a direct connection. There's no truth in what you say unless it's couched with hospitality. Now, truth is objective, dear friend. Truth is objective. It is true alone for itself, even without anything else. It's true. However, truth may be objective, but it is oftentimes irrelevant if it's not couched with love. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, here's something you do. You couch your, your, your love 
with hospitality. And I believe that hospitality is not having a nice home and being a good cook. Okay? There's way more than that. Hospitality is a dear lady saying, I'll make cookies and I'll persevere with you and I will sit with you when you're ready to accept me in your circle. That's hospitality. It's a, it's a spirit. It's a warmth. And you know that. You've been, you've known people that who, with whom you feel warm and comfortable with right off the bat. There's a spirit of hospitality. My dear friends, God has given you your personality. God has given you your home. God has given you your stuff. So that somehow in the mix of there, you can translate strangers into guests. God has given you your stuff for that purpose, to love these dear people. So number one is hospitality. The second one, uh, the second one that's in here is kind of interesting. It's the word remember. This is the practical side of the sermon. Uh, verse three, continue to remember those in prison. Now, if what I told you about ancient Near East prison was true, then what you know is remembering means a whole lot more than just recalling. Remembering means you've got to do something for those prisoners because they will starve. So someone needs to go with food. Someone needs to visit them. Someone needs to take care of their non-jailed family. Remember them in practical ways. And that's cookies on the bottom shelf for us. These three people groups, we are simply to remember in those practical ways. So, for instance, for those dear people in my life that are either brothers and sisters or strangers or prisoners, I know their phone number and I use it and I talk. Foyer conversations don't count, in my opinion. I mean, those are incidental things and they're nice things. Emails certainly don't count. Texts do not count. But a phone call, a, 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 pers- a coffee with somebody, just sitting down and practically remembering them and hearing of their family and asking of their needs. See, that's remembering those who are in prison. What happens if I get this sort of right? <laughs> what happens in a church when I sort of get these audiences right and I, and I, and I get this hospitality going and it's really uh, functioning and, I, and I'm doing these practical remembering for these three audiences? Do you know what happens? I grow a healthy church. You know, I grow a healthy church. Do you want a healthy church? Well, then it's up to you. It's up to you. <laughs> it's not up to the pastor, Right? Right? He's got his job. We got ours. We grow a healthy church. You know what else happens? People who don't either know or love Jesus begin to know and love Jesus. Isn't that great? That's what happens. And you know what else happens? When life gets beyond my capacity to cope, then all around me are people that are holding up my head. When I have that need, you'll be there. Because I've been there for you. Does that make sense? There's something very fascinating, and I close with this, that's in this passage in verse 2. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Uh, That's pretty cool. (laughs) You know what I mean? That is pretty Cool. Now, by the way, the writer of the the reader of the Hebrews 
This wasn't hyperbole or wishful thinking or overspeak. This was actually real. They would be thinking of Genesis chapter 18 and Genesis chapter 9, 19, where Abraham entertained some people, showed hospitality, turns out it was angels from God. And they provided exactly the resources Abraham needed. And then the next chapter in Genesis chapter 19, there's Lot, who did the same thing in good Eastern hospitality style entertained. And guess what? Turned out to be messengers from God, angels unaware, and provided exactly what they needed. And that's exactly what the original readers of Hebrews was, were thinking. They weren't thinking hyperbole. They were just thinking, oh yeah, that's what happens. What happens is God enters the scene and provides what I need. Now, I don't think that wanting to meet an angel is a good motivator for showing love, okay? I don't think the writer of Hebrews is saying, hey, go out there and do this and you'll meet an angel, right? Right? Go, go show hospitality for what you can get out of it, right? Love itself is the motivator. Love itself is the reason for doing anything. But when we get our act together and we do these things, some unexpected, Unexpectedly happy things happen. God shows up. God does what only God can do. I'm done. Let's pray. Father, it seems so simple. It does. It, it seems simple enough for me to be able to put in my mind those brothers and sisters to whom you've called me. Some of them are in my church and some of them are actually within my family. And it seems simple that there would be some strangers, maybe our next door neighbor or somebody who, who we could invite in somehow into the warmth of our friendship. And there are, Lord, many, many people into whose world I uncomfortably probably just, just need to step into. And it seems like just a simple set of people to love. Help us, Lord, to, while loving everyone in general, to be sure to love some people in particular. Help us to do that carefully and strategically, even as a church. And thank you, Lord, for the promise that you show up as we're doing this. That some people have actually entertained angels and they didn't know it. Help us to do this, Father, for our good and for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen.